As a young teen, Mary became a follower of Jesus after reading Focus on the Family's Brio magazine. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't have that. I'd really like to know what that's about. And so it was, it was an inward decision right there that I made in my room after reading you know, this article in the Brio magazine that I want to have that kind of walk with God that this girl is talking about. For 30 years, we've helped Mary grow in her faith. We've strengthened her marriage, and now we're equipping her to be a good mom to her own kids. Like really Focus on the Family has been, and all the, the different resources and individuals, the voices of Focus on the Family, it's really been a mentor to me, to my family, um, and just it's cool to see the legacy. I'm Jim Daly. Working together, we can save more families like Mary's every month. Please call 800-A-FAMILY or donate at focusonthefamily.com slash family. My husband would um, sometimes have to enter into the conversations with our four girls and would find out something they did that they shouldn't have and to just see the looks on my girls' faces when they would realize they've been caught. They wanted to play shoot 'em up video games, and we felt that we didn't want to expose them to that kind of violence. And so we just flat out said no, and, and that was hard for them. I remember butting heads with my parents whenever they asked me to do the chores and I was in the middle of something else, and so um, I would do it, but I would do it with a bad attitude. Whenever my parents and I would butt heads, usually I would just get really quiet and make a really, really angry face until we were done with the conversation. Mm. Well, does that sound familiar? Uh, Parent-teen communication can be so challenging, especially when you're trying to navigate with uh, unexpected conflicts and uh, triggered emotions and disrespect that may not be so subtle, uh, maybe even slam doors. If that's you, stay tuned. We have some hope for you today on Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. But John, I think it's important to acknowledge we all blow it. Uh, I, I would love to do a redo on parenting, because hmm. I just feel like now I've kind of learned the basics, and it'd be fun to start back uh, at the beginning. At and, this energy <laughs> level? Yeah, or <laughs> Well, yeah, the energy <laughs> level could be another problem. But, uh, you know, having teenagers is fun, exciting, chaotic, hmm. stressful, disappointing at times, all those things, because we're trying to control these kids into a grand future <laughs> that we have for them. Indeed. And uh, at some point, we need to learn how to let go. And that is the key. And I'm so grateful for our guest today, because he has made it his passion to help parents do a better job, A, in maintaining a wonderful relationship with your teenager and future adult child, but also equipping you to manage the rough spots of raising that teenager and things that we can do. So I'm anxious to get into the content. Well, Dr. Ken Wilgus joins us. He has been here a number of times. He's a psychologist, author, speaker. Uh, he has a podcast that he hosts. He specializes in adolescent behavior and has written uh, really a landmark book. It's called Feeding the Mouth That Bites You. <laughs> great title. It is a great title. The subtitle is A Complete Guide to Parenting Adolescents and Launching Them into the world. Stop by the show notes for your copy or give us a call, 800-A-FAMILY. Ken, it's great to have you back. It's great to be here. Thanks. So much fun. I mean, you sit with stressed out parents every day. Every day. <laughs> counseling yeah. them. Yeah. I mean, that takes a bit of patience on your end because you probably have seen so many uh, parents and their teens that how do you find something unique? Because the stories probably begin to blend and look the same and... 
you know, it ends up with a lot more compassion than it used to. Parents will come to my office, especially if they've read the book, as if they're going to a vice principal. You know, like, <laughs> there's a lot of things we are not doing right. And, and I feel more compassion for the pressure that parents have. Let me ask you, and then we'll get into the book content, but that idea of formula, because it pops up. And a lot yes. of parenting experts have maybe unintentionally projected, if you do A plus B, you get C. Yes. And my experience is it just doesn't necessarily work out that way. What I like to say is these are things that you can do for possibilities. You know, if you do these things, there's a greater possibility your or child will... Or to know will... that you've been the most effective right. you can be. But there's but no it's formula. Not all up to you. That's very it, true. And I think Christian parents particularly, because we lock into that. Like, yes. If then statements. If I do these things correctly, then I get the perfect yes. child. Yes. And, and I uh, feel like my, as a psychologist, I feel a little guilty because it feels like my field has kind of put into that myth a lot mm. that there's this formula. But yeah, so when you talk about meeting with parents, I feel more compassion that calm down. You're probably doing better than you think. Mm. Uh, and, and let's maximize that, but don't you know, yeah. make your results based on whether your kids and, turned out. And I think one of the core things right now is sometimes for parents, it's just relax. Mm. You know, some of this will come very naturally it's to true. you. You don't have to over-formulate it, yes. you know, and, and put all this burden upon you. Just be solid, be loving, be kind, be, uh, you know, set the boundaries, follow up on those things. But it, it, it doesn't take a magnifying glass. But, no, it doesn't. <laughs> if I could it say doesn't. it that way. And those of us that have done our parenting, you know full well that you did stuff you shouldn't have done. And they know and, it too, the and kids. you didn't do stuff you should have done. You know, Daniel Winnicott, this old psych- psychoanalyst, would talk about good enough parenting. Yeah. Is it good enough? Yeah. Which is plenty en- enough. So, you know, I feel like I, I don't want to add to any parent's burden of, uh-oh, they talk today about something I haven't been doing. That means yeah. I'm, I'm really messing things up. That's never the case. Well, let's look into the box of secrets. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. You've the magic about. stuff. Feeding the mouth that bites you. By the way, did your wife Sally come up with this? She or? did not, that, but, but it sounds just like her. <laughs> <laughs> it's a clever title because so many parents feel like that. Look at what I'm doing for this teenager, and this is the thanks I get. That's how parents always react. They're like, oh, that is so it. So the title fits it. In the book, uh, and really you're concentrating on parent-teen communication, and in the book you go to great lengths talking about this concept of planned emancipation right. for your teenager. And, uh, you know, we engaged you, Gene and I, because we were struggling with Trent, and Trent knows, so I'm not letting something out of the bag. He was just a strong-willed kid. Trent was doing fine. And he was, actually, he was. was, (laughs) We're good. It was mom and dad that were struggling. Poor guy. But in that context, um, describe what planned emancipation is, and then how do you apply it? Well, it's just recognizing that what we think of as teenagers is brand new stuff, about 110 years ago, and uh, your teenager, 13 and up, has always been known as young adults. If you're old enough to have your own baby, then you're not really a baby. You're a young adult that needs guidance uh, for several more years. But planned emancipation is getting ahead of the curve, uh, finishing uh, with keeping your eye on the finish line, really, and then orderly retreat out of your teenager's life rather than them yanking control from you you actually announce early on these are the things that we are not going to be controlling you answer to yourself and god about 
Yeah, and we're going to get into all of that, so don't think we're skipping by. We'll come back and get very specific examples. But let me move into this issue of control. We laughed about it at the beginning. Right. Again, I think Christian parents particularly, we struggle with this because we want an outcome, a preconceived outcome of what this experience is going to be. It's going to be this angelic 20-something who is a five-star rated athlete, perhaps a scholastic genius, right. 4.2, going to Harvard, or, you know, I yeah. don't know. And, and I have those parents, and they're still not totally happy. It could be 4.3. Right, <laughs> right. And it, it does come down to this control issue. Yes. And we tend to, as parents, and I experienced this myself, so I'm speaking only about me, I would tend to treat Trent and Troy when they were six and eight, like when they were 14 and 12. Right, right, right. And I, I think that's part of it is, and it's a hard challenge for parents to age your parenting technique mm. with yes. your children. Yes. So even the other day, I mean, Troy said, hey, Troy, man, you might want to jump in the shower. He's, a, he's an older guy he's, now. He's a, he's a and he gave me the eye. Like, dad, are you serious? I was planning <laughs> to do it. And it's a little embarrassing. So I sent him a note. Even this morning, I sent him a note. I said, man, I'm so sorry I said that. That's really your domain. That's not my domain. And But you do that to be more effective when you are clearly not trying to control at a point when you shouldn't be. Right. You're more effective when you say, I'm sorry if that came across that way. Not less effective. Yeah. But usually the most, none of us want to be over controlling. We're afraid. So and that's to, what we end up doing. Speak to some of those examples of control where you've seen parents just struggle with letting go. What does it look like so we can self-assess as we're listening to you? Oh my goodness, I am that parent. Well, with the current way that parents are doing younger children, there's a lot more uh, freedom allowed, you know, instead of picking up a spoon to spank this kid, you pick up your phone and video how cute that they drew on the wall. And so there's a lot more of flexibility than there used to be, which is ends up being kind of reversed because now then you get 13, 14. Can I spend the night? No, no, no. Well, I could when I was eight. Yeah, well, we're going to shut back down. So you end up controlling more because there's a lot scarier safety things. concerns absolutely yeah. which is a realistic thing but if you don't put that in context it's easy for teenagers to feel like wait a minute i'm getting less freedom now than ever you're not letting me do anything and so that comes up in trying to control uh, friendships trying to control even what you think uh, speech making is definitely uh, one of my favorite ways of doing it, which all three of my children have made sure that I knew that, yes, I made speeches. Um, <laughs> are lectures not effective? They are. They turns out, because I liked mine. <laughs> I, I, you know, parents will be in my office going, and they'll say, so I said, and I'll interrupt going, and so what's your kid? And they're like, wait, wait. And they finish their own speech, and I get it. Like, yeah, I liked mine. But as my middle daughter famously said on my podcast, Daddy, I remember that you made speeches. I don't remember anything you said in your speeches. Wow. So that, that, and she was our, you know, compliant one is like, yeah. even you don't remember the outline of my, you don't. So, but you try to control thought that way. Yeah. And, and it ends up, especially with teenagers, it's ineffective because yeah. you're, you're not addressing the issue of who is in charge of this thing. Ken, a really important question here, I think, for especially, again, Christian listeners, because the book, you're coming at it from a very uh, scientific approach yeah. uh, without a, a, not a lot of Christianese, which I appreciate. But when you do the overlay, what God is about in all this, um, what are we learning as a parent as we lose control? I mean, God gives us these same freedoms, right? Yes. 
I mean, that's what's such an amazing analogy. This is exactly what the Lord does with his children. And haven't you been through points? I've been through points when I wish God didn't give me as much freedom. (laughs) I mean, I really would have been happy to be zapped, but he doesn't. And it really adds to the the knowledge that God doesn't have grandchildren. All of us face God directly. And the idea that one of the most painful ones is having a child that is not a believer and really feeling like that has something to do with me as a parent. And it does not. You know, Jesus was very clear that no one comes to the Father except to me except that the Father draw them. Mm. It is a, a one-to-one. Each of us deals with God. And that issue of control um, has taught me a whole lot about uh, my relationship with God and how we each are, are, that's our responsibility. And I think that's a hard one because we want so much to drag our children at any age to the throne of grace, yeah. and you can't. And it's such a, I think the control issue is kind of the core issue in so many ways, in and so then it opens ways. up other things. In fact, you said in the book, handing over control typically opens up communication and makes communication better. How have you seen that work? And, and why do we struggle with that as parents believing it? It's kind of like uh, the opposite yeah. is true. Yeah, And it, I'm sure you struggle with convincing parents, hey, listen, you give up certain control with responsibility, you're going to be amazed at how better the communication is. And they're going, you got to be crazy. All yes. the person, all that teenager says today is, whatever. Whatever. Well, usually <laughs> they, they often don't even believe you. So sometimes you'll think about handing over control um, by just kind of being nicer and not saying too much. And that you really need to be clear about, uh, for example, your friendships are your choice. Who you think you need to hang with is up to you. I don't you can't even guarantee I like who you hang with, but we are not going to be trying to control it. You want to be super clear about that so that, for example, in that case, you can say, um, are you sure that this is a good guy to hang out with? You guys seem to get into trouble a lot. Well, he's a good person. I'm not saying you can't. It's up to you, but it worries me. Those kind of examples, once you're clear that I'm not trying to control about you. to tell you what to do, Yeah. Uh, yeah, then it's very powerful that kids uh, are more honest. Listen, even getting your teenager to talk about school without thinking that you're a cop, mm-hmm. uh, you yeah. know, how how to go today, meaning let me <clears throat> review your day. Um, you really have to be very clear at this stage, we've told you that's up to you. Uh, there'll be consequences for poor grades, but we're not managing that anymore. Things like that. If you're clear with it, that we are not controlling it, it is a little bit like giving oxygen to young adults that uh, often feel like they're being choked out uh, and because I need to know, am I gaining freedom here? But not all freedom, because it also makes it easier, and this is particularly true today with phones. Parents have to do a lot of, nope, you cannot have that phone in your room. That comes up all the time. Yeah. It's easier to say no to that if they believe you that, look, the answer isn't no, it's not yet because everything will be in your control yeah. at this point. And that eases even the hard stuff you have to do, yeah. uh, like limits and curfew and all these things, if they know that we're on our way out. Gene was really good with that. The phone's charged in the kitchen at night, and nobody brought them to the table. They went you know, up on the counter away from yeah, everybody. Yeah, that's really good. Those are, But again, back to our opening discussion, these are just kind of basic things that if you do them, are very predictive of a good outcome. It not, makes it Not easier. absolute. Right. But right, it makes right. it easier. Can, in fact, uh, I think the producer got a story from you about a 14-year-old girl who uh, did a little bullying, I think, 
online. She was a little mean towards somebody, texting. and yeah. the girls jumped on her. Yes. Explain how you coached the parent. Well, when... so, you know, there's so many examples where something really bad has happened, and we must help our teenager here. And one of the common ones is if you have a kid with ADHD, they're impulsive, and they'll say stuff they shouldn't say. Uh, they don't really see it coming. And if it's a girl, it's really hard. So one example was a 14-year-old ADHD girl who had texted in a group text something that was much meaner than she intended. It was very inappropriate. And parents were careful to not jump in and um, control all that, but they really did walk with, they let her know, look, how you deal with your friends, you're too old for us. To, we wish we could help you with this or, or fix it for you. But what are you going to do? And they ended up kind of walking through as um, advisors. And by the end of it, she was sending her dad texts like screenshots of these texts asking, hey, what should I say to this? Like looking yeah. for their feedback. Getting the advice. That's right. Because that's the opposite of the most common, which is because this is too bad and too much risk, we're going to step in and control that. And the teenager then, you know, will delete texts. I'm not going to even let you know what's going on. Mm -hmm. That's a very common thing to do. Ken, let me come back uh, to the dialogue uh, between a teen and a parent, kind of day-to-day stuff. Yeah. But so often at that time, they seem highly distracted. I mean, especially if they're looking at their phone or they're coming back from practice or whatever they're doing. And you're, you're saying, even without the inquisitory tone, you know, how'd your day go? Oh, fine. It's yeah. good. Oh, yeah. And you get all these one word, maybe one word answers or the whatever, you know, that kind of thing. What kind of tools do you equip parents to go, okay, let's get a little deeper. How do we create a little more back and forth together? So if we, you can, if like, you how can. do I do all I can do? And I think your first step is to do a brief assessment. Like, what's the problem here? Communication problems are not always the same. The most common is, like we said, control. Uh, that's where we get this um, almost just prejudice, the assumption that that's the way they all are. Good morning. No, it's not. That's If they feel over-controlled, that's common. But sometimes when you're really looking for more feedback, um, like on a deeper level, like, well, how did you feel about them all you know, still snapping after you left? And uh, that you may have a kid whose emotional maturity isn't that great. There may be a big kid, he's playing football, but... If, if he's talking to his friends in still grunts and, you know, yeah, and whatever, it's not like it's there's some technique that you're doing wrong that's keeping them from saying, well, mom, I do feel sometimes <laughs> deeply, you know, disturbed. It, it's just that's how he is. So yeah. that's a, not necessarily a big communication problem. It depends on what you're expecting from them. Yeah. That's a common one. And sometimes one of the things that I learned was more open-ended questions where they had to fill in blanks. Sometimes they're not good at that. Yeah. And you almost do better to give them a, a multiple choice question. <laughs> right. So are you looking forward to it? Are you a little medium? about it or are you yeah. really just we'll go see and that's you know <laughs> but that's kind of where they are and but so I, it depends on what that issue is yeah and i like the idea just keep trying yeah, yeah. don't give up yeah you know because i think frustrated parents can just like pull back mm -hmm. and and just take yeah. it easy you're doing fine another big issue is privacy and this is a especially in the teen years this is such a fine balance for a parent because you have the protection mode you're trying to loosen control yet you know they could be making bad decisions. So, you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, two drops of privacy and mm -hmm. one drop of boundary, and you're going, ah! yeah, yeah. So speak to the privacy issue in terms of how much emancipation 
for privacy do you give them without knocking on the door? Like, what's going on in there? I smell something funny, like rotten food. <laughs> well, it, or yeah, something worse. Or something worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think a lot of that is, uh, I would think of it less about a balance of stuff, because that's talked about a lot. I think it's more about territories of stuff. Being realistic. Do I, for example, when it comes to communication, uh, it is not a gracious thing to remind your teenager and yourself that I cannot make you talk to me uh, about things that are important if you don't want to. That's not a technique. That's just true. What's different, though, is teenagers need to know, do you know that? Does my parent know that you can't make me? And the other one, getting to privacy, a lot of times it's also important to be careful about uh, trust. If your teenager does share something with you that's pretty deep, uh, they need to know that that's not going to be announced at the next uh, family reunion or just <laughs> talked about or thrown on the uh, prayer request line. Uh, they need to be able to know that, with some exceptions, they need to know that uh, where is this you know, information coming to or going to because, as you know, teenagers are very private. And so being clear about that. But a lot of it is more being clear about what areas you're you are, in fact, still able to control in what areas you're not, and making sure your teenager knows that you know that. I can't make you talk to me. Uh, much of the time, what parents are trying to do when they're lecturing is just giving advice. And advice giving is better done by announcing it first, hey, this is up to you, and you probably don't agree with me, but, and then you throw in that middle part, yeah. and then you end up with, but listen, if you don't want to do that, if you think that's silly, that's up to you. That makes it clear that what I'm telling you is not something I'm trying to control. And it makes it a lot easier for teenagers to hear you. You know, one of the things I struggle with, and especially even if you go to marriage counseling and, and even parenting help, yeah, it, it, the beautiful way of setting up a feeling that you're having or a concern that you have, and when you're in that training mode, when you're hearing experts talk about it, it sounds so, yeah, that makes sense. Honey, <laughs> I've been observing lately that we've got a little friction and it sounds so good. For me, it pops out like, Gene, why do you keep yeah, doing that? We never did that stuff well. That's exactly <laughs> right. But Use when we're talking to experts, yeah, it yeah, sounds yeah, so good yeah. to your teen. You know, hon, you don't have to listen to this advice, but let me, if I may, yeah. can I share yeah, a little yeah. wisdom with you? And would you be willing to at least listen to it? That sounds so great. <laughs> it it never comes out that Especially way. Especially if you're scared, it doesn't sound, it's not going to come out that way. So how do we train ourselves as parents to take that deep breath, say those great setup lines... That hopefully we believe and then deliver that tidbit that we think they'll benefit from. I think from. it starts with, do you believe it? I really do. It's, a, it's not a small thing. I'm not kidding. No time around the planet ever thought of a 14, 15, 16-year-old as a child. Yeah. And so, again, it's not a technique. It's a reality of recognizing that mm. this is a young, impoverished, you know, not very experienced adult. And you mostly, if you have friendships... You're not going to say to your friend, listen, there's a few things I think you need to hear here. I and mean, you'd start with, especially men, you know, men start with uh, apologetic like Jim. It's none of my business, dude, but uh, you yeah. know what I mean? Like that's no, how really we do true. it. So I think a lot of it is if you recognize the reality that you are talking to a young adult, it can be less technique-y because uh, mm. we're the same as you. We didn't, we didn't do follow formulas very well yeah you just spoke right up let me hit a couple more uh, and if we can we'll come back tomorrow and pick the conversation up because there's so much great content this is honestly i feel like your approach this book helped us in our parenting probably more than anything else so i'm a big enthusiast for this and and i just want more parents to be equipped in this way and it really 
really turned our relationship around with Trent. It was just beautiful to watch it happen. Mm-hmm. And it was quick. I mean, yeah. once we let go, Trent turned right toward us. And it was great. Um, you urge parents and teens to learn how to disagree. That's a, that's interesting given politics and uh, campus issues and right. everything going on. For a parent to say, I'm okay with you disagreeing with me, feels odd. It can feel even uncaring. Like, yeah. I, I think what you're saying is wrong. It's ungodly. I'm not going to say that's okay. Well, again, that gets back to recognizing the reality that you cannot control your teenager's thinking. And so you're agreeing to disagree, which is only saying, I get it, that you don't think I'd, like I do, and I don't think like you do, and that just has to be. It's not even something, again, to say, I'm not okay with that is a little foolish because, well, what are you going to do about it? And let me ask you in this regard, because so much of culture seeps into us and into the church, how capable are we today versus 100 years ago? Not that you have data from a hundred years ago, <laughs> almost. But but that idea of being comfortable with disagreement—it's like today we kind of have to line up politically, culturally, and then we're friends, or then we're you know good Christians. Yeah. But that's not you know there is disagreement on some things, which is a big part of why this is more important than ever. You really you say you've got a kind of a soft-hearted. 17-year-old that doesn't seem to disagree with much and is going along fine, that's not okay. Our teenagers have to be prepared to deal with a world that really thinks that we are nuts. And so part of agreeing to disagree includes inviting teenagers into, hey, what do you think? You know that I happen to like when our pastor preaches like they did this morning, but dude, do you even, what do you think? Does it connect? It's just reminding or letting your teenager know, I get it that you may think differently from me. Because, oh, I hate when a teenager's in my office saying, you know, I'm like, so what are you praying for? Uh, oh, I'm not a Christian. Oh, well, you're the leader of your church's worship team. I thought, I thought that meant, yeah, don't tell my parents because they'll be real upset. Well, that's the most ineffective kind of parenting that you want to know what your teenager disagrees with. Yeah. And I'll mm. bet you 10 bucks what they disagree with is what they think is, is non-accepting yeah. of other people. And you have to be able to really say, hey, I get it that you may not agree with us, and that I wish you did, but I can't change that. And then the challenge for us as parents is to give the Lord and the Holy Spirit time to work. And trust him. <laughs> we want, we ch- want the add water and, wow, they're That's going to right. Bible study. That's and, right. That's I mean, right. we are so impatient when it comes to spiritual development, right? And we don't, you can't trust the Holy Spirit with these things. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's really yeah, hard Let's to get do real. That, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Ken, this is so good. And I said it and I'll say it again. Uh, great material, fantastic ideas. And you're equipping parents to really do the job of emancipating their teenagers and not holding on to childhood into their 20s and 30s, which is a big mistake. So let them have authority in those teen years, which you described so well in the book, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You. Let them also have the responsibility for that authority. And we'll get more into that next time. So thanks for being with us. Enjoyed it. So appreciate it. And if you want to be part of the ministry, just send a donation of any amount, and we'll send you a copy of Ken's great book, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You, as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry. Those proceeds go right back into helping people. We're not paying shareholders uh, profit here. So uh, do it that way. And if you could do it monthly, it really helps. 
Yeah, we appreciate your generosity, which allows us to reach around the world and offer help like this to parents and uh, to families. Uh, Donate generously as you can when you call 800, the letter A, and the word family, or stop by the show notes for ways to donate and get a copy of this great book. Another great resource we have that we'd like to tell you about is our Age and Stage e-newsletter. Every week, we can provide you with trusted parenting advice tailored to your child's age. If you'd like to stay in the know about what's happening in today's culture and how it impacts your child, uh, these weekly newsletters will really give you the answers you're seeking. You can find all the details for this free Age and Stage newsletter in the show notes. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again continue the conversation with Dr. Ken Wilgus and help you and your family thrive in Christ. As a parent, it's easy to find myself sitting backseat to my kids in the back seat. It's tough to be a step ahead. In full honesty, I'm pretty hard on myself when that happens. But I've found Practice Makes Parent, a podcast from Focus on the Family, hosted by Dr. Danny Huerta and Rebecca St. James. It helps me be more intentional and not feel alone when things get tough. Everything they share is practical and well-practiced, and I can use it right away. Listen to Practice Makes Parent wherever you get your podcasts.